Good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this recording. I've just finished preaching a message from the closing verses of Acts chapter 2 at Locust Hill Baptist Church here in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. And this is the quick recap overview of what we discovered. I didn't talk about this in the message, but over the weekend, an audiobook that I listened to was Strange New World by Carl Truman. I have the longer The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, but over the weekend I listened to most of Carl Truman's book, and what stood out to me in that book is Truman's repeated references to expressive individualism. You can get that just from the subtitle of the book. But what stood out to me as I listened to this book, he's walking through the long and detailed journey of culture moving away from God and choosing instead to embrace self expressive individualism. Why am I starting with that reference? Well, I begin there because that's the image that was bouncing around in my mind as I was preaching this morning at Locust Hill. In Acts chapter 2, the focus is completely on the unity and togetherness of the church. The impact of the coming of the Holy Spirit radically changed their lives. So, standing in great contrast to the modern obsession with self, we see the selfless love and the mutual concern of the New Testament church for one another. It was a challenging reminder as we think about just some of the challenges that we face and as we strive to live for Christ in 2023. Well, here's the key statement that I shared as the summary, Sermon in a Sentence. It says this, If our lives have been changed by Christ, we know the joy of experiencing unity in Christ. Well, our text for the message is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Feel free to pause the recording, read that text, and then come back. One of the resources that I've gained so much from the planning and the outlining of the series is Tony Morita's Christ-Centered Commentary. I referenced his observations as I came to a close in the message, but let me start here. Tony Morita offered four vital signs that he observed in Acts 2, 42-47. Vital sign number one was biblical nourishment. Vital sign two, loving fellowship. Vital sign three, vibrant worship. And vital sign four, word and deed outreach. I always want to be quick to give credit where it's due. Those observations served as the skeleton for the writing of the message. You'll see that if you listen to the entire message. Let's jump in. Here's the first observation. Acts, our turning God's story together in the word. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We spent a little bit of time talking about this in the message. What was the apostles' teaching? But the big observation is this. They were committed to being in the Word. And that's a perfect place to start because we know that was at the heart of the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we talk a lot about the call to go we don't want to miss that, but we also don't want to miss that companion aspect of it, teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. One of the things that I shared from my own personal study is how many of the books that I've been reading lately that make this point. Everyone is a theologian. You see, theology is really just the study of God, or as some would say, words about God. And with that definition, we recognize that each and every one of us have ideas. We have 
thoughts about who God is. The question is, are they correct ideas or is it a false gospel, a God that we've created? We're all living some idea about God, some theology. And as we connect that to Acts 2.42, we see they were committed to the Word. And so together they discovered the significance of devotion to the Word. Well, what was this apostle's teaching? It was them sharing everything that they had seen, heard, learned from Jesus. What had been poured into them, they now poured into others. There's a story I share in the message about Donald Whitney from his book, Spiritual Disciplines. As he was visiting in a remote area of East Africa in 1989, he observed the spiritual uh, lack of knowledge and understanding. Just It was very evident there was biblical illiteracy among the group, and he soon learned the reason was they didn't have Bibles. And so the pastor had about six sermons that he would preach again and again and again. Well, the solution was clear. Get them Bibles. We know we should be reading the Bible, but why should reading a book be the core priority of our lives? Well, to answer that, I poured into John chapter 4. It's the encounter with Jesus with the Samaritan woman. And she had in her mind that there was regional worship, that you worship in this place or that place. And Jesus said, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. You know, if we listen to that verse alone, it might seem a bit egotistic. After all, God is desiring worship. Should that not repel us in our individualistic world? Well, as I thought about that, really, if God is who he reveals himself to be in Scripture, good, holy, righteous, loving, if his will and ways are for our good, our protection, guarding against wrong choices, then it's for our good that God desires worship. He alone is deserving it, and His will and His ways are good. And as we connect that to the study of the Word, that's where we learn about who God is that informs our worship. And so they were together in the Word. They were together in knowing the Word, but also they were together in love. And if you look at verses 46 and 47, we see the impact of the Spirit's presence, drawing together a diverse group for God's glory. One of the observations that we make in Acts 2 is the recipe for a healthy church must begin with our commitment to one another. The word is fellowship. And we know that word fellowship. We love to get together in fellowship. We join in the fellowship hall. The word is koinonia. It's a word that means communion, close fellowship, a relationship. And it's a word that the Apostle Paul used often, but it only appears one time in Luke's writing. So we look at their koinonia, their fellowship. They came together in fellowship and prayer. What's the basis of our fellowship? For so many, they believe the basis of our fellowship within the church is that we have to agree on everything. And let's be honest, that's just not going to happen. We're all fallen individuals redeemed by our Savior, and yet we're all on that journey of sanctification. And so if the basis of our fellowship is we have to agree on all of our preferences and opinions, what happens? Well, when, we, when there's disagreement within the church, fellowship is broken. And so it's better that we would see the basis of our fellowship is not preferences and opinions. We're not going to agree on everything. 
Instead, we are united in Christ. And so we keep our eyes fixed on Christ. We recognize we need to love one another. We need to show compassion to one another. And that's what we see here. This New Testament church cared for one another. In fact, it says in verses 44 and 45 that they were giving of their possessions. They sacrificially gave to support one another. If you're involved in our church, you hear us say this again and again, All of our ministries, they happen because of the faithful giving of our church family. If you're involved in another church, your church has only one means of continually funding the ministries. It's the sacrificial giving of the church family. And so we see that model here in Acts 2. They were caring for one another. They were giving to make sure that all of the needs were provided for. And we certainly see that need within the church. We can't do it if folks aren't faithfully giving. They were together in their love, but also they were together in their worship. As they gathered together, they were together in worship. If you're not involved in gathering with other believers, I encourage you to do that. In that book that I referenced at the beginning of the recording by Carl Truman, one of the things that really stood out, again, was that idea of expressive individualism. The exaltation of self as the center of life and the basis for all of our decisions and morality. And so you see our world is just consumed with self. And what's alarming is how it even creeps into the community of faith. Though the call of Scripture is to experience unity, our temptation is still to remain separated even in our expression of worship. Think about it. A hundred years ago, if you wanted to hear songs of worship, where would that occur? It would only occur in a church gathering. But where can you listen to worship songs today? Anywhere you want. And that is good. I don't want to say that's bad because I think when you're driving in your car, when you have your headphones in, listen to worship. But in the privatization of worship, we also can be tempted to disregard the calling and the blessing of being together in worship. And so here we see they were together in worship daily. Some people say, I want us to go back to the old days. Well, if we're going to do that, let's go all the way back to Acts chapter 2 and let's long to be together daily. But also they were there together joyfully. There was joy in their faith. Joy should be the trademark of our lives. So, So often we speak of our our grumpiness and we say, well, that's just the way I am. No, it's the way you were before Christ changed your life. You are a new creation in Christ. Walk in joy today. Say goodbye to grumpy. Say hello to grace-filled joy. The New Testament church is a powerful example of caring, loving, giving, worshiping. But also, let's don't stop there. We also see they were together in reaching. As they gathered in worship, they were able to experience God at work as he increased their number daily. It was evident to everyone God was on the move. Jesus ascended, the Spirit of God fell, and the impact was immediate. What will form that identity of reaching more than anything else is the posture that we take as we gather and worship together. Mike Cosper offers an image that helps us to see what does this worship look like He says this, quote, if it's a concert hall, we show up as passive observers and critics, eager to have the itches of our preferences and felt needs scratched. 
A banquet hall, by contrast, is a communal gathering. We come hungry and in community, ready to participate and share the full experience with one another." End quote. That's a great picture of worship. We come together. It's a shared experience of worshiping the Lord. So I started out with those four vital signs, biblical nourishment, loving fellowship, vibrant worship, word and deed outreach. Question is, are those vital signs evident in your life? I want to thank you for listening. I encourage you to join us for a service at Locust Hill Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. for our life group Bible study time, 10:15 a.m. for our service. We'd love to have you this week.